there's a lot of work that goes into it and it's not it's not like they depict in uh commercials for game design programs and stuff where <laughs> you're holding I'm, a I'm controller a, i'm a game designer you're just there the controller just like writhing around on the couch <laughs> like slamming buttons and somebody pops in they're like hey i need some tips on blah and you're like do this you're like, all right <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 71 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. Oh yeah! <laughs> I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the bit bucket bonanza-ist. Mm. Mm. You bazooka! You're a bazooka. <laughs> yes. I'm Sam, uh, back pictures. I'm Carol, I do webs. Yeah. And uh, today's November 1st, 2016. Happy November ween, everybody. It's mm-hmm. very... Spooky outside. Yeah. Well, it uh, was spooky, but now it's fine. Yeah. Uh, I've, right. I've been. It's been a very stressful spooky. week. It's still spooky. Oh wait. Sorry. Before we before we say anything else, uh, this show is not for chids or children. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's going to be profanity and lewdness. So get out of here. All right. So uh, Halloween just happened. It's so spooky. It was terrifying. It's, so um, it's probably the most stressful month of the year for everybody. Well, especially when everybody's Twitter names are all scary. Everybody just, yeah, mm. you can't even log on Twitter because it's just so spooky. It's so spooky. <laughs> <laughs> My heart's been palpitating for weeks. I'm sweaty. It's all over. I haven't slept. Behind Everywhere us now. I go, there's skeletons and zombies <laughs> I and think pumpkins. I think that's your cholesterol. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, so yeah, I'm glad it's over. Well, we talked about uh, in week. A lot of video game studios have their own holidays, right? Where of course they line up on the actual holidays, but they change the name of it. Mm-hmm. And I think we were talking about trying to figure out what our Halloween name would be in the Butterscotch universe. And I think all of us really like the word spooky because, to me, it actually plays on the fact that. No, All the stuff nothing is, is not scary. Nothing like, is scary. Like, yeah. These cardboard gravestones or <laughs> these little skeletons that are just like flopping like, the other day on the door. Um, it's not actually scary, but it's trying it's to spooky. be. spooky. So it's just spooky. Spooky is something that is, yeah, <laughs> pretends to be scary, but is actually kind of lighthearted and fun, yeah. I guess. Yeah. So we're trying to, you know. Creepy. I'm, creepy. Wonder what name. Spookoween. Spookoween. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Spookfest. We have to. We have to do we'll do it. Low nope needs some holidays. It does. Yeah, it does indeed. So it's gonna happen. Yes, I know. Also, we have some cool news, which is uh, Crashlands is one of the top fifty apps of the year. According to Time Magazine. I love finding so. this stuff out just randomly on Twitter. Somebody yeah. will tweet at us and be like, hey, did you know you're in this? And we're like, yes, no. <laughs> Time Magazine didn't send us an email and be like, by the way, we put your... Yeah. App. They're just I like, it's we kind just of a, did it. It's kind of a prestigious thing. And yeah. We didn't even know it happened. Is it? <laughs> I don't know. I it, feel did, like it is. But I mean... It's Time Magazine. But Forbes also used to be Forbes. And now any random person can just post on Forbes. That's true. So is test Time mm-hmm. become that or is Time know. still legit? We'll pretend it's legit, I sure, think it, yeah. because that. that's, that's better for us then. They yeah. tweeted about it. It's on their Ooh. Twitter. They yeah. tweeted. I bet Twitter. that led to zero sales. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, Potentially. I would, I would hey. agree with that. We had interviews yesterday. Yeah. We did. We finished up wait, the- uh, Sunday. Two days ago. What? Oh. Uh, so <laughs> like, interviews with who? Oh, with the, yeah. You were, you were there too. You were there, Adam. Uh, I was there. You existed so in there's this space a, with there's a documentary being made about Crashlands. It's called Brace, Brace for, for Impact. Impact. The Crashlands Impact. story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's being made by a film group here in St. Louis called Forever an Astronaut. And they've been working on it for, they started filming and doing interviews with us uh, over a year ago. 
So it was September before the launch, I think. Yeah. Or October, one of the two. So yeah. it was a it was a while before we even were in beta, mm-hmm. um, and so it was kind of cool because we got to talk about what our plans were and what we anticipated happening, and the story of um, you know Sam going through all his bullshit while mm-hmm. we were working on the game. He had cancer. Uh, I think they even have a video of him getting a bone marrow biopsy. They do actually. Yeah. Which I don't know. Who needs to put that? And in? they uh, and they were there. They were there <laughs> in the room when we got the all clear. Uh, yeah. the final you don't have cancer mm-hmm. moment. Um, so that was caught on film, and that's going to be in the documentary as well. I wish so, we could have captured yeah. uh, the cameraman Dylan's face when we were sitting there, and he looked at me and he was like, what if uh, What if it's bad what news? What if it's bad news? And I just looked at him and I go, either way, it's going to be good television. <laughs> <laughs> and he like looked mildly horrified but also amused. I was like, he was like, uh, yeah, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> yeah, so we got some good material. So guys, don't fuck up your video. Yeah, so uh, so they were here. They came. They, they hadn't been to our new studio location. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they came on Sunday to do some interviews and basically follow up on what has happened in the studio since Crashlands came out. Um, sort of like the, the epilogue, I guess. Of the whole thing, yeah. Like right? a ten months later, where yeah. where are we? What was the aftermath? Um, mm-hmm. That was pretty cool to kind of look back yep. on. Everything. And they also they got picked up by Devolver Digital actually for publishing, so they'll be doing some distribution stuff through them through Steam, and uh, they actually are headlining Magfest. I think yeah. so. There's going to be a feature length cut of the whole thing, which normally is a six episode series of twenty minutes each. They're doing a an actual sort of movie cut for Magfest in January. Um, and you're, you're gonna going be there. To. I'll be there. They'll be there. We'll be doing a panel there. It's in. It's in, it's like in Washington, National Harbor, Maryland. Boston. Maryland. Apparently, you could drive a boat. Yeah, to you can it. take a boat. They're like arrive by Wait, plane. Do you by have to bus buy the boat, or, or can you just hop into any boat? boat? Or how? Like, how does this boat thing? You work? can probably just swim there. You don't even need a boat. Yeah, just mm. it's just it's on a river, so you can just speak for yourself. Because Adam and I tried to swim last week, and it was bad. <laughs> we we did swim though. We swam. Uh, we made it five hundred yards. I think mm. you made it five hundred yards. I made it four hundred. Wait, how long did it take you to go five? 500 yards. It's 15 minutes. Wow. Which, I mean, in retrospect, isn't terrible, but I don't think I could have done any more. So I think after 15 minutes, I was cooked. My goose was cooked. Because we used to swim 3,000 yards in an hour. Yep. So it's, you know, it's it's two-thirds of the pace, right? Mm. But no, no. After 15 minutes, I was done. Got to get back in that. Uh, but we are doing a 5K. Mm-hmm. Which is also going to be horrible. Yeah, we're going to do... Yeah, and is that next it. weekend? <laughs> Carol's like, what is that? <laughs> I mean, two weekends. Two weekends. So you got you got two weekends to buff up your legs a little bit. Is that Pokemon weekend? No, it's the weekend before Pokemon weekend. Okay. Um, yeah, because we would have to can- probably have to cancel the five K. Yeah, we, we would actually tell them to cancel the five. Oh, but and Pokemon weekend is when Pokemon Sun and Moon come out. Mm-hmm. We're November just spend the weekend playing Pokemon. Yeah, yep. that's. I need to actually add that to my calendar. I'm gonna write that down. Write right that down. We got it pre-ordered, so it's well, just going to show up you, on our doorstep. You can't just add it to your calendar. You also have to delete everything else from your calendar. That's a really good yeah. point. It's a two-step process. So mm-hmm. make sure you, yeah. Um, but yeah, this race is, well, it's not a race. It's just a 5K. Yeah. It's, I mean, it uh, is, technically it is a race, but it just doesn't but, matter if you win But who lose. really wins is, it's a charity. Yeah. So which charity is it? It's uh, Race for Home is the name of the thing. It's for a, it's a homelessness. Homelessness, awareness, and race. Yeah, so if you want to, if you're in the St. Louis area, you know, or nearby, and you want to you want to help some charity and run around and, and high-five some butterscotches, yeah. Yeah. come to this we might Race be for the, Home 5K. We might be in the back of the pack, though, so. Well, I will be, definitely. It depends how out of shape everybody else is who's participating. Turns out Seth's legs fall asleep after about a mile. I'm just going to bring, a, like, a raw steak. 
and just chew on it as I go, just to <laughs> just keep just to keep my gather keep energy, my and, protein energy and protein up. You could just like have you could wear cargo shorts and just fill your pockets with, with jerky. With jerky, mm. yeah. Not raw meat just, though. So you think that's a better solution than? Raw meat? Then I thought you said rob meat. Rob meat. Rob meat. Rob no, just rob some, <laughs> just, just rob the meat store on the way over. Kill Rob, turn him into some jerky. Poor Rob. Like, rob meat. Yeah, poor Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not here to be fuel for your body. <laughs> God, that's a nightmare. All right, Carol, tell us about uh, your PSVR experience. This yeah. is important. Everybody's Everybody into listen. So everybody's ready. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm all self-conscious. <laughs> no, everybody's really into VR right now. You know, we go to these events and these conventions and half of the demos are VR games. And so it's like, okay, this is a big deal. We should be aware of this. I'm like, I'm going to get a PSVR. It's going to be great. I'm going to know what people are excited about. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play these games that my friends are making that are rad and VR. So I'm like, okay, going to go. <laughs> they're rad and VR. You're going <laughs> to... Rad and VR. They're that, both. They're both. Are they uh, since to get through the gauntlet of PlayStation though? Yeah. Can you even play most of them because it had to like get onto the console first for PSVR? Yeah, you do have to be on a PlayStation. Yeah, there are a lot of PlayStation uh, VR games on Steam though. There's like hundreds of them. Can yeah, you use the, the PSVR Vive. on? Mm-mm, yeah. No, it's just for the PlayStation. So I decided to just go ahead and pick it up because I have the PlayStation. I like playing uh, the PS4 games, and uh, so I was like, all right, I'll just go get one in person. I want it now. I got the giant set of it. And I was like, this is $550 worth of VR shit that I'm holding. <laughs> but hey, everybody's into it. So it must right? be good. Right. Uh-huh. It's, yeah, I mean, it's gotta true. be worth it. Actually, I remember seeing it. a talk uh, recently where the person just got up on stage and just started foaming at the mouth and screaming VR for 45 minutes. <laughs> so I, I think it's really good. I thought that so was every talk we were. Yeah, that's, yeah. What, yeah, yeah. that's what I did as soon as I, like I was standing yeah. in line at Micro Center just screaming <laughs> VR! <laughs> Yeah, but it's hard to hear because everybody else is doing the same thing. Yeah, exactly. So so I take this this box that's like the size of me home, set it up. There's a million cords and cables and everything. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, this this has to be worth it. It's got to be amazing. You're plugging into the Matrix, basically, Um, at this point. So I put it on and I'm like, wow, everything's so pixely. It's just so incredibly low res. It felt really awkward. It wasn't, I mean, like the games were really cool, but then I take it off and I'm like, wow, I feel kind of weird. I feel kind of not. Wait, how long did you, how long were you in? How long were you in the matrix? So I was in the matrix, maybe between a half hour and an hour the first time. Okay. So that's a pretty substantial amount of time, I guess, for VR Hmm. stuff. And so I was, I was like also popping around between a couple of different games. I played Thumper. I played Super Hypercube. I watched some of the free movies that they, they're super gimmicky, but they're like, look at how cool VR is. It reminds me of when 3D movies first appeared and they would always like, like putting the, yeah, the camera stuff at the screen. Or like debris would always have to fly at your face. That's yeah. absolutely how it felt. It was super, super weird. But um, after watching all of that stuff, I wound up feeling really garbage, like really, really sick. And so because I went to bed. Like, the normal world was just I so guess. pale in so comparison to the VR world. Yeah. yeah, the VR, like it also <laughs> just kind of kept like twitching around. Anytime I was supposed to be standing still, everything else would just kind of move a couple of pixels because Ooh. it's because it's so pixelated. It was really obvious when that happened. Yeah. I guess the screen is like right next to your eyes. Yeah, it's like so an inch can, away. The fidelity that they need as far as pixels is yeah, very it's gonna high. be really right. intense. <laughs> yeah. So I woke up that night with a searing, searing, raging migraine and. 
tried, I, I basically didn't play for two days and was like, okay, I'm better now. I'm going to give it another try. I played for a half hour, actually 15 minutes. I timed it and was sick again. And I was like, well, maybe I'll just keep, you know, well, so you know what, you know what this is this. though. You know, a lot of people think this is motion sickness and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so what this really is, and there's been some studies about this is uh, we live in the matrix actually, and VR is yeah. us looking out into what the real world is. And you know that scene when they unplug Neo and he just starts throwing up everywhere? I mean, it's yeah. basically yeah, what's happening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so you're just you're just experiencing what it's like to actually be alive for the first to time. Be well, I'm yeah. taking the blue pill because <laughs> I returned <laughs> the PSVR. I can't remember which pill is which. That's the red the, that's pill. The, that's the correct right. pill. The, okay. the red pill is what puts you, uh, like, pulls you out of the matrix. The blue uh, pill keeps you in. Yeah. Oh, right. Oh, this is this is very. Ooh. This is a old, yeah. oldie. It's yeah, but it also took like two levels because since we're already in the matrix, you had to take. You it had to, to stay, stay in, even yeah. though what you were trying to do was get out. I'm just like was, cipher. Ooh, that was good. You I can't liked trust it. Yeah, that's me. that's why they talk about VR as being like very escapist because you were literally you're escaping from you're the escaping. matrix. Yeah. yeah. Wow. But yeah, so I returned it because I like after a week of feeling totally sick, I was just like, there's no there's no way I'm going to keep playing this thing. Right. It's a pain machine yeah. at this point. And at, at, uh, at Steam Dev Days, there was a lot of talk about VR and they were talking about how um, the belief is that in order for it to be uh, viable for people to not get sick, they need to have at least 8K resolution per Whoa. eye. And 90 frames per, per second eye. constantly. Yeah. So it can never dip below 90 frames per second because that's when you see the the stuttering and the jittering and stuff. Right. Um, and and then also, that, the game design itself has to make sure it's not yanking you around in physical space. And that do kind we of stuff. have? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's not commonplace to have hardware available that can run. No, that there is ab- there is that yeah. The hardware doesn't exist. 4K textures where we're at right now. Yeah, it's like not even a little bit. But it's of but the it's still low enough that people you know that it's jarring for mm-hmm. people because like you like Carol was saying when things move and you can see things move from one pixel to the other. Right. That's it's, that's wrong. Right. Yeah. That's not how things go, and it makes your brain just. Yeah. Peak. And the head tracking has to be absolutely perfect. Like, I mean, everything has to be absolutely perfect. And we're getting like the the Vive stuff mm-hmm. with their room scale stuff is getting one really one, yeah. damn close to that they have what is it that has like sub millimeter resolution of position in space like really mm-hmm. cool point, point three millimeters but they, but they were saying this is like track they, stuff but the crazy thing is they said that it had to be that precise otherwise people got sick yep right yeah and so to me oh. i would just figure <laughs> people are moving really fast on this now and i think in a we'll few just years let it settle. yeah we'll let it settle yeah. a few years we're gonna have really awesome tech that and, and i think and also as so carol was getting really sick with this stuff mm-hmm. and i think Probably a lot of people would also get sick with it, but there's a whole spectrum of just how comfortable people are. Mm-hmm. And and as the tech gets better, then more and more people will actually get to do it without experiencing it. It's kind of like, you know, some people get car sick and some people don't. Well, and and like uh, like you guys were saying about how developers have to do have to be careful to do things like not make the character like add head bob to the character moving around or mm-hmm, right. um, or even Stuff even things like, yeah, even things like pointing the camera at something you want the player to look at. You can't do that, actually. Right, you can't use the stick to turn. Or dealing with camera shake. Yeah, you can't camera shake. You can't use camera angles. face that you can shake at that point. (laughs) So, and it's weird because uh, most players don't think about the camera. Uh, in games unless it's really badly executed right? right yeah um but the camera is one of the most important things you have control over as a game developer because it allows you to pull attention to things and so actually in uh, in crash and it can set the mood even depending on how yeah. it behaves and in crash we do subtle things like when you're fighting a boss so normally the camera follows your character when you're fighting a boss we move the camera to a 50 percent point that is halfway between you and the boss so that the attention for you is sort of like on the battlefield between you mm-hmm. and this thing that you're fighting. 
whereas the camera doesn't do that in any other uh, context. So we can, so as, as game designers, we can do camera tricks to kind of like make, make things feel differently or, you know, whatever. But in VR, you just can't. Yeah, that was or even. Or people throw up everywhere. That was also apparent, even uh, thinking about the films, the VR films. Like one of the really important parts of designing a film and shooting a film is making right. sure the camera What's is facing screen? where. <laughs> yeah, and the only yeah. thing that they could do to tell you to look in a certain direction was use the audio and so they'll you know they'll shoot something in your left ear so you're supposed to turn left to look at what's making the sound but it's just they can't you can't make a really poignant film in vr yet i think yeah it's gonna take a lot of new craft yeah Mm -hmm. so it's gonna take in the same way that it takes people even decades to gain mastery over something when you invent a new thing now you have to lag behind that so it's going to be a long time before we yeah it's really it's definitely that. some some time out it's been really interesting to hear because i i've been tweeting about the the illness and everything and just kind of asking for advice everybody's like you should try this you should try this you should try this and i'm just like the yep. risk is way too high <laughs> yeah, right like this these games point. are okay right now yeah like, like it's let's just give it some time let's let people experiment with it mm-hmm. but don't try to evangelize that everybody needs to be playing vr right, right. now because yeah. clearly it's not ready it's not ready it's half cooked yeah yeah cool all right well i think we should uh, get to some questions wait Unless, oh, we have no another? there's one more thing which is the scatter jam this weekend oh, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah man you maniacs ah. about right. the most so, important thing in our lives oh my god so the <laughs> scatter the no one mentioned it when i was making the news bullets <laughs> <laughs> right, so i forgot the that scatter that jam is a game jam that's here in st louis a game jam is a 48 hour uh, event where you show up and then a theme is announced and you have 48 hours to make a game that incorporates that theme. And then at the end of the jam, everybody gets together and shows, shows off their, their games that they made uh, on stage with raucous applause and laughter. Also, Fat Bard is there. So the, the Friday night presentation. Is he jamming again? Fat Bard shows up and just riffs on an electric guitar. Just playing video game music. It's like Zelda, Does Pokemon the, stuff. Both of them come or... or it's usually both. It's of usually, them, yeah, yeah it's usually, it's either been both the whole or, duo. or Patrick, yeah, depending nice. on. Yeah, so uh, so we'll be doing the scatter jam. It's uh, here in St. Louis. It's at it's the at the St. Louis Zoo. The zoo. Yeah. Yep, St. Louis Zoo, and it's free to participate. Mm-hmm. Um, You're expected you, to have a team going into it. Yes. Yeah. yeah you show up. Show up with a friend or or five friends. Uh, if you haven't jammed before, then our recommendation is to try to keep your team pretty small uh, because the bigger your team is, the more the weekend is spent just trying to like delegate tasks and manage communication and stuff. So if you have just two or three people on a team, um, that's a really good way to do it. We're actually going to do something really bizarre this time, yeah. I think. It's going to be awesome. Which is we're going to split into multiple teams uh, and Sam is going to be making art for three. several teams. Yeah. At three once, teams. three teams. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we may even do a thing where Sam's going to make the same art for multiple <laughs> games, and then we all have to try to make a game out of the art. We've talked about doing a, we've talked about doing a deal with it jam in the past, where Sam just starts <laughs> making just make stuff. A bunch of shit and then put it in the Dropbox, and then everybody just has to deal with it. <laughs> that sounds. You great. mean put it in the ink pump? But in the ink pump. But the the thing is, it's not actually too different from what normally happens anyway. So yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's, deal yeah. with it. Deal yeah. with it. Yeah, I got it. We got a few new tools and stuff. Um, Thanks to Adam and Andy's uh, hacking with either auto hotkey for my Inkscape stuff or with this Inktube thing. So mm-hmm. it's to me like I'm really excited about the weekend because it's going to be it's actually made sort of 48 hours of, of training on the new tools um, and seeing if I can use that to actually push more content out in a short period of time. Yeah, Usually unfortunately, cool. the Shenanimator might not be ready unless I pull some really heavy if you don't All sleep, sleep yeah, then we, that may not be a good idea, though. It's not wise. A game jam. <laughs> but, but, you know, I can, I can just sleep all day on Friday, and then... Actually, I could sleep in the zoo 
Friday night and just yeah. wake up at the jam and I'm ready to go. Mm -hmm. yeah. That sounds good. So. And Carol and Sure are going to be working together. Yeah, it's going to be the first time I've really had a chance to spend time working with Sure because mm -hmm. I've gotten to work with Andy both in the studio and at uh, XPO. Mm -hmm. We both manned the booth together, but I haven't really had any and, chance. And to technically, work. Sure at about fourteen feet away from you is the furthest person in the office. He is. From he <laughs> is absolutely <laughs> the farthest away from me. So I'm super excited. It's going to be a really fun mm -hmm. opportunity to get to know him. Yeah, yep. and sure, sure is in a he's in a, a cool spot in his training where he's starting he's starting to get some some good feel for for mastery of game maker and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but since most of what he's been doing is working on existing projects, he hasn't had much uh, much time to really like build a whole bunch of stuff from scratch. So this will be kind of a fun way for him to to really like think of these new systems and, and develop stuff inside Game Maker from the ground up, which is a pretty fun thing to do. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I wanted to give a shout out to. Uh, Racing for the finish, uh, one of our B scotches or uh, Austin Smith, as he's as he's called, um, he's been running the Huntsville. Which one of those community? is his B scotch ID, and which one is nobody his knows? <laughs> he's, he's very wishy washy. Um, <laughs> but they, I think they had a really really successful sort of first big meeting uh, a few days ago, and they sent us a picture of it. It's after hours game dev is their sort of thing. They decided to do a similar thing to us, which is not not use the actual IGDA, but rather just make their own sort of homebrew organization because then it turns um, out you can just do what you want yep yeah it looks like they're 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 kicking it so i just wanted to say congrats to the huntsville games nice work keep it up keep it keep it on keep it on keep it on all right let's get to some questions the first question comes from zuby 311 sorry sam continue maniacs hit us with the zoobs uh he says, he or she says, Sam, being a huge fan of your previous Inkscape tutorials and art all around, will you be doing any more in the near future, like with the Quadrupus revamp? Oh, man. Yes, Sam. What's going on? So I have three of them in the <laughs> wings. <laughs> How many? Three. Okay. Whose wings? Three. three. <laughs> Which is actually, <laughs> they're actually the revamp of the Quadrupus for the Quadrupus revamp. And oh my god! Oh my revamp gosh. of the quadrupus for the quadrupus. The thing I was laughing at, so I, all the way I, down. Always, <laughs> I always speed them up, right? It's about one and a half, two x. Um, so now they're only like thirty seconds long. No, they're <laughs> well. These ones were hard. They were harder to do, so they're just like they're ten minutes long mm. each. Um, but I realized because one of them's doing the well, two of them are doing the sort of facing away directions. <laughs> the quadrupus butt. There's a lot of quadrupus ass. You should, just, you should just clip it down to just that and just, just call it Inkscape butt ass tutorial. tutorial. <laughs> <laughs> so I I started working on them. I got actually I recorded the audio for the for the first one. Uh, I just haven't gone through and put it back in because I was like, it's supposed to be a three part thing, and then I was like, I don't know if I actually want to. No, totally do it. <laughs> that is so on brand. <laughs> Twenty minutes of it is just is just, just ass. Like, it's, <laughs> you know. I, I, I what, but what you that. need to do since you're going to overlay commentary, you got to be very, you know, sort of Morgan Freeman ish. Well, I was thinking about building about up this, this uh, sort of Bob Bob Rossian, you know, Inkscape guy vibe. Oh, yeah, well, there you go. So because we talked about so we talked about starting the uh, or part, this would the Inkscape tutorials and then uh, Seth's sort of game maker tutorials and any other teaching stuff that anybody in the studio wants to do, we're going to start rolling into this idea of the Butterscotch Academy where I have, have a playlist on YouTube basically that just has a bunch of the stuff that we've put together where people can come to learn about making games. Um, so we, we have been chatting actually about that general effort and I think the Inkscape tutorials are, are one of those things, but I think starting with just a bunch of butts, butts is not probably the best way to go. <laughs> that is, I 
absolutely the best yeah. video. All right. All right, Even our company done. starts with butt. I mean, we can. Yeah. 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 That's true. Nice. And we get we get emails oh, every day, just constant stream of emails of people being like, I've been I trying to learn how to, I've been trying to learn Inkscape, but there's not a single butt tutorial <laughs> on YouTube. I can make anything in Inkscape except for butts. Where help can me. I find help? Please help me, mm-hmm. Butterscotch. Yeah. So Seth actually put together a game maker tutorial Did for it start jamming with butts? purposes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just, just it's, it's called Butt Quest. <laughs> uh, it's, it, it's mostly, I mean, it's it's a beginner thing, so it's mostly like butt physics, uh, butt gravity, um, you know, just all that kind of stuff. So that sounds great. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think squats. We, do, we will actually yeah. be. <laughs> I guess the basic point is we put together a bit of a plan for how to handle more of these tutorial things, not just in Inkscape, but in various in avenues. But we haven't gotten, uh, we haven't really gotten the time to actually put into it to get it going yet. So I have them. They're not done, but I, I do plan on doing uh, many more of them. If and, you become uh, Inkscape Bob Ross, can you turn Lenny into your Peapod, the squirrel? And oh yeah. so you just like to cut to images <laughs> of little Lenny on your shoulder and you're like, oh, it's just such a, I, I a cute Lenny. little devil. Who's yeah. Lenny? Lenny's my caterpillar. Who's oh, right, right. <laughs> so you're just going to put... I, a pupa right now. I figured, Lenny. Lenny. I figured Lenny is dead, and I just keep forgetting about him. Lenny. You just wait. He liquefied. You and guys are hating, in a bag. but I swear to God, it's gonna be. You're gonna wait two months, and Lenny's gonna emerge. But he'll only be alive for two weeks. So you have to get all of your Inkscape tutorials done in that. Two weeks. <laughs> or just get okay. a whole lot of B-roll. Lenny, my mom. So that you my can mom. cut it in and be it like, in. "This is this is Lenny this is now that he's a little older." <laughs> is that how Bob Ross? <laughs> oh, people, just, just such a cute little devil. You just got, you're just putting down happy little nodes. Happy little nodes. We're just going to grab the nodes and you just wiggle it around. There's no mistakes. Change the curvature of the node to, to a symmetrical pattern. And yeah, there's rotate. no mistakes in Inkscape. Just butts. It's just butts <laughs> for just days. Butts. <laughs> I mean, is there anything else you guys want to have, you know, a little teaching series on? Um, I'd, I'd love to do a, a game maker thing. And, and like you were saying, I put together a video this weekend that's just currently unlisted because I want to run it through the studio gauntlet and see mm-hmm. how everybody else feels about it before Garbage. I put it out there. Well, um, I need to add some branding to the front of it too. Yeah. It's right now. It's just like literally I just recorded me making a game and game maker. Um, but the idea would be, I would sort of make it as a series. And then depending on what kinds of questions people asked on the first video, I would focus on hitting those things in the next video and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, we'll see. Adam, it you, exists, but it's not live yet. Would you teach anything? Is there anything you know? Uh, mine would be much more on, you know, not not the making a game side, which is a lot of what people think they're the most interested in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're wrong. People don't. They don't <laughs> they know. know themselves. They don't know. All right. Uh, so what would you teach? Business? So basically, so that would be business. It would be it would be on how to analyze, you know, the data analysis side, how to think about the problems mm-hmm. you're trying to solve, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and then also the, just programming in general, because mm-hmm. all of what I'm doing is process improvement and right. automating the shit you got to do, like making a tool so that the art pipeline is just... It, just it is the case that that everybody should learn programming, but it's yep. very hard to do because when you're really new at it, you can't do much interesting stuff or solve very many interesting problems. Yeah. And it just kind of seems tedious and lame. Mm-hmm. But then it, if you just, for some reason, keep going through all that, <laughs> for whatever reason. then all of a sudden you're like, I could do anything. But that's true for just about problem. anything, though, you know? Oh, I mean, yep. it's true for writing. It's true for art. It's true for everything. You tennis. Tennis. Literally butt anything. Drawing butts. You're going to start out being terrible at it, and you're going to slowly get better if you keep at it, but it's going to be slow and take We're a running work. 5Ks. We're running 5Ks. Yeah. Carol, what would you teach? I don't know. You do like a UI UX thing. Your, your I could do design yeah. pattern for that's really cool. I could do. I could definitely do interface design. Mm-hmm. 
I could potentially do little shorts on marketing mm-hmm. for for other game devs. We've got all kinds of stuff. Okay. Yeah. We do have knowledge to share. We should do start doing it. Something that I, I was doing for a little while, I did a few uh, Twitch streams of me just playing games and talking through design decisions mm-hmm. in the game and just like talking about the design of the game as I played it. And people were really into that. Mm-hmm. So I kind of enjoy just kind of breaking down other games and thinking about why design choices were made. Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself getting extremely angry on occasion in those contexts? Because I certainly do when I play games. <laughs> like, why would you do that? <laughs> I mean, sometimes, I guess. <laughs> so, Sometimes. Sometimes. It's just Carol screaming at the screen. For, it is uh, pretty much just me screaming <laughs> at the screen and then ask, begging my viewers for help. <laughs> All right, next question comes from Map5597 who says, if someone wanted to job shadow one of you guys, would you be up for it? Or would that would that present a gigantinormous security hole for your upcoming projects? In other words, revealing your new grubby game that we're all pretty sure that you're working on. <laughs> oh my God, that's a grubby, great idea. Grubby Merchant 2017. Yeah. Grubby. You just travel to other games and sell, sell items stuff. to people. <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome. <laughs> living in the void. You just, yeah, you spend your days in the void lounging. Um, on our- <laughs> I was going to say, this, this wouldn't really be a security problem because we would just do a sign an NDA, um, mm-hmm. which, if, as we all know, are completely ironclad. And yeah. once you sign an NDA, you literally can't speak about things. Well, like it a, does mean we can sue you when you do. Yeah, which we so definitely don't want to do. We would rather <laughs> not do that. So. Yeah, also, my witch powers do actually hide yeah. their mouth anytime they start yeah. thinking about... Mm-hmm. Yeah, once again, like the Matrix, when he has mouth closes. Yeah, yeah. Ew, yeah, let's yeah. Like a then they throw a robot scorpion in his belly button. Yeah, Yeah. but it's fine because they sucked it out later. Also through his belly button. Yeah. Also spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) If you haven't seen seen this 15 year old movie, (laughs) well, we have. uh, So we we don't have anything in place as far as you know uh, internship programs, sort of things, or even job shadowing, or even space. Or even space in the office for it. to put an extra yeah. person. I think they still have to wait a while. We have done, on occasion, we've done, uh, Seth and I did, right? Early crash lands, like first six months or so crash lands, we had someone come in, in the office every Wednesday or so. And he'd just send us an email and said, hey, I'm super interested in making games. Basically asking the same question. Could I come hang out for a bit? Um, and that was pretty cool. But I think after four weeks of seeing what actual game dev is like, he was like, okay, I'd rather do that for me. He was planning on settling in for the whole summer. And then after about four weeks, it was like, yeah. So oh, I think yeah. if we were to even consider doing something like this, there would be a pretty hefty number of prereqs, including you having, you know, made some games on your own. Yeah. We don't um, want you to potentially even finish some games on your own so yeah. that you know what the whole thing is like and so that you don't just get excited about uh, sort of the, the game jam like you know first week of coming up with game ideas because uh, yeah. the real work because that's exciting for that. everybody but yeah but yeah. the next part is the yeah. is the next two years it's the next two years <laughs> uh, yeah. where you're just making all right today is 15 new art assets for this right um, it just there's a lot of work that goes into it and it's not it's not like they depict in uh, commercials for game design programs and stuff where <laughs> you're holding I'm, a I'm controller a, I'm a game designer you're just there the controller just like writhing around on the couch <laughs> like slamming buttons and somebody pops in they're like hey I need some tips on blah and you're like do this like, alright <laughs> I would say I would say that it's pretty much entirely unfeasible until we get a bigger space yeah. in general and I've heard mm-hmm. of really uh, big studios offering desk space people to work and like you said offering a prereq of basically saying you you have to have worked on games and be serious about making games and then you can use this desk in our space to make your own games yep 
but it's not so you can kind be... of be there by osmosis, right? But not have an official. And, and there is something we've talked about where if we do manage to um, expand our space or find a new space that's that's bigger, then we could potentially even treat it almost like an like an indie dev co working space kind mm-hmm. of a thing. Um, so if somebody wants to work on their own solo projects, you know, they can just rent a desk for like 50 bucks a month or something mm-hmm. just to have a space to work and be, a, you know, kind of in the atmosphere and stuff. Um, and just to have people to chat with about game ideas and that kind of thing, which would be a pretty cool thing to do. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things, of course, that there's that constant struggle because then if there are other new people around that are trying to learn, it's really fun to teach people and be a sounding board and stuff. But then you're not working on your own stuff. But then you're stuff. not working on your own yeah. stuff. Yeah. And so the more people you get in one room, the more structure you need to put in place to make sure people can still get work done while also benefiting from the fact yeah. that Yeah, I think that's the interesting thing for us is that we, you know, if if someone's in the office and they're job shadowing, it's not going to be the case that, we're, that they're literally going to be able to be a fly on the wall because you want to engage with somebody yeah. when they're sitting there. Right. You'd be like, I'm not going to tell you what's going on or take time to do this. And so that actually, it does, it does take a lot of time away from uh, work stuff, which isn't to say it's not valuable. It's just that at certain points it becomes a viable thing for you to do as a studio when you have a certain mass of people who are able to work on games. But like mm-hmm. in the example where it was just Seth and I and this other person, if we spent three three of the hours that day sort of chatting with them or helping them with their, their project, there's nothing getting done on the studio front. Whereas if we have, say, 10, 12 people in the studio and then one or two people are helping someone job shadowing, it's not nearly the as The studio is still doing stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is interesting. So yeah, so yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to do it in the future, but not for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So the next question comes from uh, it's COD three X, which is either Codex or Call of Duty three X, or just COD or COD fish. Yeah. Three times three. Oh, actually, that three X kind of looks like sort of like the tail part of a fish, sort of a little bit. Mm-hmm. They they somehow turn their name uh, into a COD. So they yeah. ask, will any of your games have multiplayer? And I, I'm pretty sure we didn't talk about this, but you guys had an interesting experience at Steam Dev Days about multiplayer stuff. So yeah. I wanted to bring this yeah. up. Well, there's so there are sort of two kinds of from from a technical and and actually player side standpoint, there are kind of two kinds of multiplayer. There's the kind where we as the studio get a server set up and you talk to our server and and the game happens there and then you play on your end. So this is like Rocket League, World yeah, Warcraft. You just say like yep. join game and then you don't have to do anything and you it's don't just do like, anything. We're gonna hook you into the game. Yeah. So with this into when the you, matrix. Into game. the matrix. This is when you as a player see the dedicated server, right? That's yeah. the what that means, okay. Yeah, or or when you see, because many many modern games, that's the only option because that is the absolutely the best player experience without a doubt. And as server technology gets cheaper and cheaper, then more it's just more accessible for companies to use. So so that's the best option. Mm-hmm. Okay. The other one is people run their own servers. So peer to peer. I've got a copy of this peer to peer. So I got a copy of the game. You got a copy of the game. I boot up the server version on mine. You connect directly to my computer, and then we just play using my computer. This is right? like when we play Terraria together. Yeah, like Terraria, Minecraft. So you have to do um, the port forwarding yourself yeah, and all that. You, yep, you got to forward ports and you got to know the IP. You know how to get your IP address. Yep. And then you got to send your IP address over to the other person so that they can type it in and connect. And someone to has your... to configure the server properly and all that. And, and, and these typically, even for people who know what they're doing, like us, there's typically a bunch of banging your head against this fucking game that just won't quite work. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's, don't also, know why. It's, it's because the server is programmed individually, right? So every game has their own server right. code and everything. And so uh, you can't just know how to do it for a game and then that knowledge translates to every right. game every yeah, game is going to have their own setup yeah. so 
you got to do a lot of looking up stuff and yep. Googling. And and this isn't really an option for things outside of PC for the most part, because doing things like port forwarding and dealing with connecting to somebody else's machine, that's not something you really do on mobile or mm-hmm. on a console. It's like really pretty restricted to, to PC. So to have a viable game that's multiplayer, that is a really good user experience for everybody on any platform, especially wanting to play cross-platform, you got to have a dedicated, dedicated server. server. Mm-hmm. So now that means we need to set up this enormous infrastructure and solve this logistical puzzle of how do we get a server in Australia so that they don't have to wait for half a second for a signal to come from the Midwest. Mm. And this, this is why, for example, even like if you boot up, say, uh, Diablo, you know, you'll see U.S. West, U.S. East. You connect to different sections. Mm. And that's just in one country. They have two separate primary server locations so that when you're playing, if you're trying to punch a, a demon in the face, it doesn't take you two thirds of a second to find out between the time you start to swing and receive information about whether you actually hit them. Right. So now there's this logistical puzzle of getting servers where they need to be. Okay. And, and if you, but of course like things like Amazon, AWS or Google's uh, server capacity, all those have set it up for us so that we can just rent space in all these different countries. So they've kind of dealt with all of it. It's more expensive than doing it yourself, but to do it yourself costs an enormous amount of initial capital. So, but it's possible. Like, so you logistics also need to is, own a space to put the server. Right, or you need to negotiate government space. things. And so logistical nightmare, right? Mm-hmm. But there are things that made a shortcut so we can kind of do it now. So then let's just say we get it all set up. All right. So we have AWS. We yeah, now have server capacity. Yeah, we're we're all the over the world. And uh, we've dealt with whatever the legal issues are of doing that. And then finally we get our awesome game up and running. Mm-hmm. We're running great. And cool. then we're playing it. And then, then these fucking kids start DDoSing it. Ugh, kids. So DDoS, distributed denial of service. Yeah, this is when you... It's a type of, quote, hack. Yeah. Which... Really, it just means people are just pounding your website with requests. Yeah. People just download a program. And you can think of actually, like, so to say, like, when when Reddit picks up your website for some reason, you go to the top of the page, and then suddenly a million people from all over the world are hitting your site. That is actually a DDoS. It's just not an attack on purpose, right? right? But it's exactly the same thing that happens with a real DDoS attack, which is... People can script usually a, a botnet, meaning they just have malware infected a huge number of computers or devices that can talk to the internet and have all of those repeatedly try to talk to your server. So this is what happened last this happened last week, right? Where the a couple, couple weeks, weeks ago, ago. Yeah. a couple weeks ago the DDoS attack that took down the whole Twitter, Twitter Netflix, Netflix yeah. the East Coast. Yeah, because they well, they took down the the name server that mediates when you say, I want to go to Twitter.com. There's a server in the middle that says, Oh, I know where Twitter.com is and sends you the right place, right? So they attacked that. Mm. The DNS. Yeah, the DNS service. Which and they used, apparently they used a bunch of these internet connected devices that yeah. aren't necessarily what you'd the, Yeah, so computer, thermos, like thermostat. Uh, <laughs> right. Philip Hue yeah. lights. Yeah, anything yeah. that can talk on the internet. Anything which that can talk to the internet now. and can have software on it yeah. can be part your, of the DDoS. Carol, your lights. My apartment. Have killed Netflix. Your whole apartment. <laughs> <laughs> My robot house was compliant. Yeah, so, so, so I think the, the long and short of it then is is... We, it would be cool to do, but because people continuously go out of their way to ruin it. Yeah. Um, it's one of the many reasons we can't have nice things. So yes, we what, can't do it yet yeah, what because exactly we don't have the guys, resources to deal with that. Because what did you learn at, at well, so what we learned so then, about Dev Days? So when we were at Steam Dev Days, there was a panel uh, of people who were running multiplayer, like big multiplayer games that people play, all, but all actually ranging from pretty small, very small indie stuff that was still successful to really big stuff like uh, like Steam's, um, what's, their, what's their huge ass game? Half-Life? Team Fortress? Team Fortress. Fortress. Oh, wow. and, okay. the, and the other ones, right? Uh, the, the, 
what is their MOBA? What's their MOBA called? No, Dota 2. Dota 2. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> so Dota, Dota 2 and uh, and Team Fortress use up an enormous amount of server resources, you know, still today. And, uh, and that has actually prompted um, Valve as a company to extend a huge amount of reach into all these other countries of, mm-hmm. of setting up server resources. But basically what they said is they're under constant DDoS attack. Like literally constant. So in other words, if we want to have a multiplayer game, we actually not just have to build the game. But even the the little guy. You need, you actually. Even the guy who just set up a, really a game that's probably on par with the success of Crashlands. Maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe a a bit more because it's a multiplayer game. Um, But it's kind of on that level of success. A small, tiny, tiny indie studio, right? Same deal. He said about half, half of the time that they're, that they're alive, which is of course, hopefully all the time. uh, They're under DDoS attack. Half of the time? Yeah. So you, so if you do this, you actually need a at least a person on your team whose job is to try to keep people from destroying the game. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. welcome <laughs> to humanity, folks. Yeah. And um, so and if and so if you are one of those, people, and actually Seth was telling a story a while ago where he talked to some was it some cashier at like Micro Center or something. Yeah, so yeah. having a little chat, and the guy made some comment about how when he plays Call of Duty or some fucking Counter Strike, Counter Strike, uh, one of his his approach is actually to conscript a botnet. At, if at one of the, if somebody's better than him, he will, better than him, he will DDoS the server he's playing on. Yeah, oh because it's that it's that easy to conscript a botnet <laughs> as just an end user now because they're really cheap and you can just basically hire them out for a small yeah. period of time. And so now these fucking people just like, and that's why I said kids because he's probably twenty something, but yeah, yeah. in his mind he's a child. Right? <laughs> so, so these fucking kids are just basically like, oh, this is this is hilarious. I can just go make somebody's computer not work, right? And and they're providing a, a value in this service that allows an enormous number of people to keep continue developing this technology mm-hmm. of making it really easy and really cheap to knock entire well, Of course, if you make, down. say, like a, like a 5v5 game, yeah. if 10% of your user base does this, then that's, on average, over. a person each game, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so it's, it's just such a huge problem that, and, and actually for Crashlands, it's single player only. And when around the time of launch for the first month or so, at least half of our of our customer support requests were people who had hacked their own game Mm -hmm. and broken something and then came to us to fix it. Right. Yeah. And so this even happens with single player. Well, you remember that we we got one from someone who was like, oh, I can't like this. This item's not working or something like that. And so we pulled down their save through Biscotch ID and they had what, 9,999 of, of every everything. single consumer, of everything, actually. Yeah. Not even just consumables, even, just oh everything. Yep. And we were like, we can't. And there was like another person. You? Like, you know, my favorite one, though, was the one who hacked their account. And, of course, a lot of what you're doing when you're hacking a game is just trying random stuff until you get mm-hmm. something to work. And had managed to set his clock to negative time, right? Oh, yeah. And yeah. the game wasn't designed with this, like, as a possibility. So, so because, all the kinds Because of- the game code starts zero time. And, and it adds. only goes up. So, right? so it's not even <laughs> handling the case where like time is negative. Uh, and, but, it all, but miraculously, it didn't just crash. Instead, nothing could spawn. So there were no creatures. There were no because, resources. Yeah, so yeah because, because things tend to spawn on a, on a time-based thing. Yeah. And so like if you destroyed something or whatever, then after six hours have gone by, then it can spawn. Well, if the current time is 200 years prior to the last <laughs> time you killed the creature, then it never comes back. Right? Uh, so, wow. Um, yeah, so so in that case, though, you know, you're hacking the game, you're ruining your own game experience. Which is fine. fine. Whatever. But you, then if you, you reach out and, and waste the developer's resources, their time, right, right. and then ask them to sucks. fix the thing that you did, now that's making it so that everybody else who wants to play games made by the developer are now going to get games slower, well, and so, they're going to get updates slower because mm-hmm. you're burning their, burning their time. really limited time. Well, the crazy thing to me about this is because we, we were fully planning on making a multiplayer game for one of our next games, like one yeah. of our next titles. Yeah, yeah that was 
was the, the next one actually was the first plan was actually literally the next game. And then started coding it, it up to it. Actually, we were, we were have a prototype where we're playing it in the office and yeah. we can all mm-hmm. run around in the same little world yeah. and stuff. And then yeah. after this realization where it was going to be, we actually don't have the resources for this because no. of the fact that we have to have another person at least whose job is literally just to stop we'll people full from time destroying everything. Security. Really technical, mm-hmm. technically proficient security web team, right. basically. Which would uh, start with one person, but then we have full, full-time job. Yeah, and so we, we realized, unfortunately, uh, we can't. It's not in the cards for us to build a multiplayer game right now, as much as everyone keeps asking for it, like an actual yeah. you know, dedicated server sort of and thing. And if, yeah. if you're a listener to this and you know anyone, including yourself, <laughs> who does any of this bullshit and just you thinks, go and oh, say this to them, hey, buddy. Stop doing that. Yeah. That's bad. Yeah, buddy. And hey, like, buddy. and it's like, I mean, if, if you're doing it and you, I mean, you can't know because it's hard to know the other side of the, of the thing, right? Because it sounds like it's just kind of fun and to, to no, it's getting hurt. people a little I'm bit, just, right? just destroying uh, the East Coast server. Yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, because of this stuff, we're not going to make multiplayer games. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like we have the capacity to make the multiplayer games, oh, yeah. but yeah. because these yep. people are doing this We don't constantly. have the capacity to defend them. Yeah, we yeah. don't, we don't yeah. have, yeah. Which is weird. Yeah, but you have to do this. So yeah. yeah, so if you if you hear people doing this, just let them know that there are real consequences to to this kind of stuff, and uh, maybe knock it off. Maybe stop doing that. You're yeah. the reason why Crashlands isn't multiplayer. Yeah, <laughs> you did this. <laughs> you brought this on yourself. Actually, no, that just would have been a huge pain. But yeah, that's, that's a different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crashlands is a different story. Yeah, but we can make we can we can blame other people. It's easier that way. All right, next question comes from Beast, who asks: Most slash all of your games have been mostly action focused thus far. Have you ever thought about making a puzzle game with some kind of new and fun mechanic? You seem like smart chaps. It might be an interesting challenge for you. Chaps. Mm. The, uh, the, like the pants without butts? With the butt. <laughs> Those are only specifically assless, assless chaps. Assless chaps. Yeah, you can oh, have right. assed chaps. Yeah. Can you assed. have assed chaps? I think you can have assed chaps. What about just, what about ass. just ass chaps? Like that only cover the your butt ass. Flap. Yeah. <laughs> the butt flap. The butt flap. The butt flap. I think I think assless chaps is redundant. I'm pretty sure I had this argument like a couple yeah, of years yeah, ago. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure, sure it's too. redundant. Because chaps are just that's assless. Fair. Assless chaps are just chaps that you're not wearing over jeans. Yes, right? that's <laughs> that's just straight <laughs> up the one. straight up chaps. So it's really a chap who's being assless by yeah, wearing, by wearing chaps. chaps without pants. Okay. Huh. So how do you go from a leathery pant material to calling someone a chap as a term? This is a great it's question. It's like a genial <laughs> term. It's you know? one of those. Chap. It's a fucking weird word. I don't like it. Chap. Yeah. What is what is chap. the etymology? I don't know. It's, it's just one of those words that's just kind of kind of slid, slid its way in there. Anyways, Nobody puzzle games. Oh, All right. Games. Team. <laughs> what were we talking about? We've talked Anybody about made one? Anybody got thoughts on that? Uh, I made, or Seth and I made. Uh, Gerblins. Gerblins. And Sam did the sounds. Sam did the <laughs> He almost vomited while doing the sounds. I did. What, really? Yeah, I was getting really into it. And <laughs> the sounds are, there's, there's really gruff, like gross kind of. There's sort of like gurgly, gurgly, gurgly things. And I did one and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> like almost. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so we did that one. That. Um, it was kind of like a combo of t- Tetris and Minesweeper. Yeah. I think like you had a grid of things and you had to like, you had to do, you had to get them out of there. But unlike Minesweeper, where when you hit a mine, the game is over. And this one, if you hit a bad space, then it would fly away, and then a new row would fall down from the top. Mm-hmm. Is Gerblin still available to download? We just nope. took it off everything. It's Our most hardcore Butterscotch fans still have it on their phones. Yeah, but if you have it, it's a, a digital collector's item. At this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah we, we've we've talked about the possibility of sort of rebuilding it quickly and and put. I mean, it was a weekend game. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't take very long 
to make, but it was, yeah. you know, I mean, it was, it was, it was a medium fun. game. It was, we kind of addressed this a bit before. The main problem with a puzzle game is that a really good puzzle has to be designed by a person, right? Designing really good puzzles is hard as fuck. Mm-hmm. And solving puzzles can take a completely indeterminate amount of time for your end user. So some people might just plow through it. And so you need a lot of content. Some people might find the initial one already basically impossible. This is what I think so by there's game no like, such thing as a difficulty curve with yeah. a puzzle game. It's just people can do it or they can't. That's either you can story. see, either you can figure out the solution or you're stuck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, because I remember uh, Monument Valley. Yeah. Great game. Got got slammed by some people for its shortness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it was so good. It's a great game. And, and there's you a reason tell, it was short. Yeah, and they took a fuck it's hard load of time fuck. to make this. Yeah. Not because they were just sitting around being lazy, but because making a puzzle is unbelievably difficult. Especially yeah. making an MC Escher puzzle. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so so by, so what we found is, you know, by by making action games, um, the the interaction points are very straightforward, but you can you can iterate them in all kinds of interesting ways um, by by having like when you hit something or when you get hit or when you like run on top of a thing or jump or whatever, um, you can have things bounce and explode and like have different like and when you add RPG elements, you can have different numbers popping up and you can have the character scaling up. Like there's all kinds of um, very straightforward systems that you can layer on top of each other to get some really satisfying game experiences. And those experiences weirdly last a lot longer than a puzzle experience. Um, and there's also a level of mastery because with a puzzle, once you solve it, it's done, mm-hmm. right? And you, you, if you go back and do it again, you already know the, the fun of the puzzle is figuring out the solution and mm-hmm. the fun has been depleted. And- unless, it, unless you then make a procedural puzzle game, which is always going to be Like worse. a bejeweled. Or Gerblins. Or Gerblins, <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, or you, so you take like something like Candy Crush, which is a combo of the two, right? So it's a design level within a randomized pattern of, of things that come down. At least I think yeah. that's how it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the but puzzle games are just better when they're designed. So if you want to provide enough content for people that they can keep on playing the game and play it a lot, then it's going to necessarily be worse. I've always wondered why we call games like Bejeweled a puzzle game. Is it? Is it? Is that what it's referred to? I think that's so. in like in app stores and stuff. They're always categorized as puzzle yeah, games, but they they don't have a solution, right? It's more of a it's like I, a logic game almost yeah. or mm-hmm. something. Kind of like you must build a boat, right? Or like any like match three yeah. or anything like that. Yeah, because yeah. it's yeah, it's not a puzzle. Because at any given point, there's a number of potential solutions, right? Yeah. And you just kind of do stuff. I think it's just there isn't a genre that's been developed for those kind of more simple, kind of broken down game ideas right <laughs> yeah i think the idea of a logic yeah. game is actually probably better right yeah. I mean, even tetris i, I think people just use those anonymously yeah i think you're right for the genre yeah. Yeah. it's uh, puzzling but yeah so i mean i mean we're, we're, we're probably <laughs> we're probably gonna continue to lean on um action and rpg kinds of stuff also because we really love the idea of trying to tell uh stories through our games and having characters and doing all kinds of stuff and um having games that are more focused on you kind of like being present in the world as an actor and talking to people and going out in the world and doing stuff. Uh, it just lends itself a lot better to things that are more actiony and more, you know, RPG like and stuff like that. So I really dig finding puzzles within those kinds of worlds. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I mean, Zelda type puzzles mm-hmm. where it's, you're in, you're totally immersed in this action space. You know, you're, you're, you're blocks. yeah, you then suddenly you have to put the, the sword down and start right. thinking about your environment and start thinking about more of the logic side of things. And yeah. I think that it's that a nice adds blend. a layer of depth. Yeah. It adds yeah. a layer of depth and it gives your brain an opportunity to do something different mm-hmm. amidst gameplay. I used to design 
puzzle games a little bit, mostly as as prototypes and stuff. Um, I actually showed you the one that I did a long time ago where it was just kind of blocks and puzzles and it was just level after level of increasing difficulty, obviously, because that's how you make video games. But it was so hard to keep coming up with interesting really puzzles. Yeah. So I would, yeah, I would echo your your thought there, just having done it for so many, so many different levels and feeling like it was just a never ending challenge. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's also hard because as the designer of the puzzle, you know how you everything works. You know the solution, right? Right. And it's yeah, always you can't even have a concept of whether it's difficult or not. Yeah, yeah. because you can't even though even though you can try to sort of document what the player should know at any given point and try to design the puzzles around that. Once you know a thing, you can't unknow mm-hmm. it. And it's very hard to design a puzzle while always keeping in mind the things you're not supposed to know right. but do the right. whole time. <laughs> it's the, one weird. Thing, the one thing I've learned that is incredibly important as a puzzle designer is that always design it about ten times easier than you expect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then design it about ten times easier than that, right. and that's your tutorial. <laughs> Did anybody play The Witness? I know they had. I some, started you, to. I think it. you made some comments about that. Yeah. Difficulty curve. Like Six hundred puzzles in that game. It's it's tough. It's that's actually another one of the games that gave me uh, motion right. sickness. Yeah. So I couldn't keep. Happened to a lot it. of people, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was it was really interesting puzzles. It was just really really hard and it kind of felt pointless to keep trying (laughs) just this is going to last for the rest of my life if i keep trying to solve every single one yeah i think i I really like the the integrated puzzle idea sort of what you're talking about with zelda and stuff um and my favorite personal example that is alien swarm where you're playing you're playing with four people it's It's a co-op sensitive yeah having a time rush component to it where you have one person who plays as as a tech and they can essentially hack into doors. And to do the hack, they have to do this logic game where it's essentially the pipe connectors, um, but just a single row of these symbols, and you have to rotate them to make sure to make the lines sort of match up until they get to the end. And while this is happening, of course, your teammates are behind you blasting off aliens that are just coming in. And the longer it takes you, the, the more, more these yeah. things are coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as you open the door, everybody can sprint in and turn around. You can steal it up with like a hand welder. And it's just this most satisfying. <laughs> like that was my favorite role to play in that game because it was so fun to like get in there and everyone's like, oh, hurry yeah, up. Yeah, because it's you're interesting because there's things. not a there's not a hard time where the puzzle isn't like you have to do this in five seconds. Right. It's just like you just know you gotta do it fast. Yeah. yeah. The faster you go, the better it is for your team. Yeah. You know? And uh that I think that that integrated form of that, I think you're absolutely right, where it adds like sure, if that game was just about shooting aliens, it'd be neat. You know, and if it was just pipe puzzles, it would suck. Yeah, but when you put both of them together, and especially in that using it in that way, where there's yeah. no time pressure from from the puzzle itself, but just from the world, then now you got some really well, even um, even Eve Online has an entire section of the game that's basically they call it exploration, but it's you have to go out into these like very remote areas of space and use these scanners to find um, these data and relic sites, You're like these ancient space things floating around and you have to outfit your ship with equipment that allows you to like access these canisters and it's a little hacking like puzzle mini Mm. game um and it's incredibly lucrative actually because you have to like solve the puzzle and then you also need to get the stuff out of it and then get the stuff back somewhere to sell it without getting blown up or whatever Mm. um so it's kind of like a puzzle mixed in with the rest of the economy of the game and stuff like that that's so cool i just love the way that it forces your brain to switch gears mid game Mm. yeah yeah it's a nice thing for people to opt into too right like you say if you want to break from killing stuff which is the usual thing in action games and it's nice to be able to either slow down and do some hacking or you know something else but have it be integrated into the game context our next question comes from darth binary uh he says the skyrim remaster is out now with the main two editions being better graphics and mods if a crashlands remaster came out what would be the main two additions to it i figure Um, 
Well, not multiplayer. Not multiplayer. <laughs> no. <laughs> probably it would be, um, well, not not direct multiplayer. It would probably just be an MMO. That would be the first mm, thing. Just yeah, And then um, that's it. <laughs> yeah. I think it sounds like Sam would probably want to redo the, a lot of the art. A bit of it. Or a bit of it. Well, we would have the shenanimator in full swing at that time. Oh, so yeah. basically everything in the world would be all wiggly and bouncy and... Yeah. At that point, we may as well just make, <laughs> may as well just make the second one though. At that point, well, that, I mean, that's exactly the thing is that just in general, when it comes to remastering, it's it's that finding that line between well, might as well just make version two right now, right? Uh, and I think for Crashlands, we definitely because we at least I feel like we got kind of really everything we wanted mm-hmm. out of Crashlands, and so a remastered one. There's nothing I that I in particular want to remaster right at all. There are things I want to expand on, mm-hmm. yeah, but that's or, a, or just make, a sequel sort of thing. Yeah, exactly, it's a sequel kind of thing, um, which I think is maybe a better place to end up in. I mean, how do you make that decision between remastering a thing and sequeling a thing? I think if you are Bethesda and you, <laughs> and you spent $200 million making a game. That's fair. That then made like $600 million. Like do you spend and $200 still million more? Or yeah, exactly. we, yeah, do you... Well, no, because they're also making a new one anyway. So if they can put a tiny, tiny dev team mm-hmm. on remastering this thing that people still love anyway, and it's, and it's being kept alive by the mod community, and so you re- put out an olive branch after they, of course, spat on them all a little while ago. Right. Uh, and say, <laughs> sorry about all sorry that. Sorry about that spit Sorry about that. Uh, we're going to make it even better. <laughs> And also just make you have a better gaming experience that's updated because you love this game anyway, but it's starting to feel old because the graphics aren't as good and so on. Uh, that's a really, really cheap way to kind Once of extend the life of a successful product. Right. Once you're operating at scale. At scale. Which we are not, we are not. anywhere near. And, absolutely. So, and, and this is something we talked about in the past too, is that it's really, really hard, maybe even impossible to convert an okay or poorly selling game into a successful one just by adding new stuff. Mm-hmm. Because really only the users who already know about your game will see that you have new stuff. Uh, but if you have a game that still is successful and part of your mechanism is to keep people chronically engaged by adding uh, stuff that just gives them stuff to do forever, right? Then you can use that as a way to extend the life of the game. Yep. Yeah, it's not it's not going to move new it's not going to move new players into the mix. No. You don't you don't see an update for a game and be like, "Oh, cool. They added a new gun or whatever. I'm going to yeah. buy the game now." Because like you don't know. There's no context for that. Right. Yeah, yeah, but I mean a hardcore remastery though of something like a really popular Bethesda game that's years old is the kind of thing that if there's enough news about it could drive a PC player cuz PC players uh, stereotypically love the fuck out of graphics, right? And so if they've been on the fence about a game that everybody has like kind of loved, but now it's an old game because the graphics aren't as good, right? And then gets a graphics overhaul, then maybe that's enough to put you over the edge and actually get you to go try yeah, like, I'm game. not going to buy this NVIDIA GTX 1400 and not just throttle it up to the max on yeah, the exactly. best looking games on the market. Yeah. Can't be buying it, old games. But it games. seems like, I don't know, to me that <laughs> seems like a risky venture if that was the move. But if the move is just to say, uh, we want to just extend the life of this product for the people who are playing it and telling other their friends to continue playing it, then I think it I mean, it's be. also, in, in Bethesda's case, this acts as a really very cheap way for them to have another launch, right? Because mm-hmm. we always talk about like the biggest power of most games is in the launch window. So if they can take, like you said, say it costs $10 million to do a remastered thing, but they get to do another launch of the same game a few years later once, I mean, it's pretty saturated as far as, you know, when everybody kind of wins there, right? Because yep. for the players, it's like, fuck yeah, 
this game that I love, now there's an even better version of it out right. there, yeah. right? And the studio wins and everybody wins. Yeah. I yeah. would say on a smaller scale, Double Fine just did this both with Grim Fandango and Day mm. of the Tentacle. And mm-hmm. I think it went over really well because those were both at least a decade old, if not older than yeah. that. Um, and I, I never played those games when I was a kid. And so it was a really great opportunity for somebody like me who'd seen how popular they were right. to finally play it on my modern system. Yep. And so I think that's another opportunity is, you know, 10 years down the road, if Crashlands still has a cult following and it's not out, you know, for the, for the platforms that are popular at the time, right. that's a really great it's opportunity. The, it's the nostalgia to, pull. Yeah. Sort of, sort of bring it back and get, get people excited about it who never had an opportunity to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, this line of Bethesda leads to another question from uh, from Froyo. Mm-hmm. All right. So, unfortunately, have to be our last question. So, I hope it's really good. It's pretty interesting. So, okay. uh, this is this is related to games, some games news stuff. Okay. Uh, so, Froyo asks, with the recent announcement of Bethesda's new review policy, which is that review copies are not given out to press until the day before a launch. The day before. Wait, whose policy is Bethesda? Bethesda. Okay. Who makes? Yeah, I, I, I saw some games. people complaining. But I didn't actually know the details. So, of so in other words, usually, just so everybody is put into context here, for developers, usually you give your reviewers keys to your game at least two weeks before launch so that they can have plenty of time to play it, write up their thoughts. And depending on the game and your strategy, sometimes it's even months ahead of time or, you know, there's... And the interesting thing with this announcement was that they this is not YouTubers included. So in other words, they will give out keys to YouTubers and to other quote-unquote influencer press, so streamers and such, who tend to be a little bit more bound to saying good things are making the game look like it's a lot of fun. Mm. But they won't give them to actual journal press who tend to be critique-oriented. Mm. So that's the context here. Uh, mm. So for you ask, what are your thoughts about this and also review embargoes generally speaking? So Interesting. the embargoes thing is an easy one, um, which is we, we did this for Crashlands. We did review embargoes. Um, the reason being we put the game out two weeks before it came out. And uh, the reason being is a 40 to 80 hour game, depending on your play style. Uh, So the reviewers needed a lot of time to actually sit down with it and formulate their opinions about it so that they could publish the review. Um, So that's good for us because we want people playing the game to actually have a full picture of what it is. Um, And it's also good for the reviewers because if we just hand out the game and we're just like, go crazy kids, Mm -hmm. then they now have to race each other to try to be the first one to break the review for the new game, right? Because mm-hmm. that's going to be the one that yeah, people they're find competing, when they search. Exactly, they're competing for search engine. Yeah, yeah that's actually why, uh, so from the media side of things, the reason that embargoes are important is to think about all the players in the game. For us, it's about leveling the playing field. Yeah, so for us, the embargo is important because it, it, it puts all of the press surrounding the game onto launch day, which is usually when you embargo until an You embargo, don't want people to see your game when they can't buy it. Exactly. And that's, right. that's the only reason why. So, But from a press standpoint, from a media standpoint, the reason embargoes are nice is because if they know no reviews are allowed to be published until, in our case, January 21st for Crashlands, um, there's not going to be a problem of one person essentially getting a couple thousand view lead through like Google search um, and then just being stuck at the top. Just being at the top, yeah. And this is why when we had our, uh, we had a bit of a fiasco with a, a YouTuber breaking our embargo, um, we actually were not the ones who brought a hammer down on him. Uh, the rest of the YouTuber community oh, did wow. because his video went up, got uh, I think twenty five thousand views in a day. Well, some people were up. mad at us because they thought that we they thought we him gave him special exclusive, yes, exclusive access. access. Yeah. And so once we cleared that up, then everybody turned their vitriol onto him because <laughs> you got to understand that th- these are communities of people, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not just like one guy who's. Uh, running his YouTube channel in isolation from all the other YouTubers. They're sort of, they're all buddies and they all essentially actually work together in a lot of ways to make sure that the boat keeps floating forever. Yeah. There needs to be a sense of fairness. And so having one person's thing come out early and then get 
say a huge chunk of views means that anytime a search is done, now it's that so person is going to be at the top, yeah. which but, means that everybody else's stuff is going to drown to the bottom. Right. But so this, this, the media this question, though, is interesting because it's not even about that part because they're not even giving keys out until the day before. To press. Isn't that to press? Yeah. But I mean, they give it to YouTube. But there's a difference, though, because there's an embargo, mm. but there's also giving the key out, right? So the embargo says, we'll give you the key at some point ahead of launch. So, so you, you can have, still play it and actually so you have time to review experience it. Experience the game. Mm, experience yeah. it, write up your thing. And then the embargo says, this is when you get to release that. Correct. Right? So by not giving the key out until one day ahead of time, you're just saying, I'm only giving you 24 hours to yeah. form your form and articulate your opinion in whatever format that is so that you can post it when, when the embargo ends. And especially with Bethesda, of all companies yeah. to do this, because their guess. games tend to be long, 300 <laughs> hours plus. Yeah, yeah. yeah, my guess this is a consequence of, of why we can't have nice things, which is that Bethesda is a, is a big game company that people are really excited about their products, like really excited about it. And inevitably, things leak constantly, mm-hmm. right? Constantly. And so every time they're leading up to a big release, somebody fucks something up and ruins it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and this includes, unfortunately, um, press. Just when you have something that people are excited en- enough about and enough people getting keys, because there's a lot of people in the press, there's just a good chance that someone's going to go. One slip. or two of them is going to yeah. Yeah, well, get out. People there. write about games because they love games. And yeah. so a lot of the press are probably fans of the game. And- yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so it's it's easy for people to screw up unintentionally. And it's also easy for people to, because the incentives are now really wonky, right? Because the incentive for you as an author is to be the first one to talk about some cool thing, right? Right. Uh, and... And so the, there's just this a lot of a lot of pressure. Well, and also just kind of think about kind of how easy it would be if like let's say you received a key and yep. you're like yeah I'm not going to write about it. Um, it's very easy to be anonymous on the internet mm-hmm. and put anything anywhere, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's it's it's purely based on the honor system. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, like you hand a key to somebody, you say, Hey, don't talk about this. And they say, okay, I won't. And you just have to trust that they won't because they totally could. If yeah. They, wanted yeah. To. they absolutely could. And putting a lot of faith in yeah. people who you don't know. Yeah. yeah. So I don't So who knows why they're doing it, but I have a suspicion that that has, well, I mean, the, the general player response it. has been in the press response in particular uh, written press has been that they're essentially trying to suppress critique until people have already bought the game. I, but what, get, I go, yeah, Why do a, people have the right to get the game early to critique it before it launches? Like, that's an absurd... You mean the press? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, That's an absurd But the, <laughs> the, the idea <laughs> is one of is one of anti-consumerism is essentially what's being volleyed at them because they're not allowing people to... This, whether or not players are saying, players are saying yeah, we deserve to get an unbiased, clear picture Correct. of the thing we're yeah. buying. But which is hilarious because the game's press is nothing like that. It's... it's like like any critique based system, it's arbitrary. It just depends on the opinions and whims of the person writing it sure. and, the, and the thing they represent. So the idea that that uh, that as a consumer you will be more informed by being able to read critiques of a game a few days before by it like comes 10 out, ten or twenty different right. high profile people, yeah, that th- that you'll now be more informed and can have, make a better opinion about buying the thing. I is, think. Well, is, you got to think too about the the, the broader context, mm-hmm. which is if, if there's a, somebody who who has reviewed a bunch of games in the past and you've tended to agree. Sure. Right? Then you think this person tends to have the same tastes. But, as here, me, but right? then here's the other thing is if you're the kind of person for whom reviews are really important and those form your decisions, then you'll you wait can, for it. You'll wait for yeah. You can just a wait. A day, yeah. a day, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, the fact it's is not like, going to unnecessarily crush anything. So you think, no, they're, you think just, basically their reasoning would be 
this is hugely problematic from a dev and a press and a, just a launch standpoint because of the various slip ups that can happen that have even yeah. happened to us. That happened to us. Yeah, so. absolutely. I mean, that, guy, that guy was not being malicious at no, all. No, he, he just he, made a mistake. He just scheduled it and didn't look at the embargo date and then left. Yeah, well, he was going on vacation. Up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I mean that's exactly it. Is is we're gonna de- we will definitely handle our our next launch differently than we did the last mm-hmm. one because of that. Yeah. Um, and we also are gonna give out keys to fewer people. Mm-hmm because of that same risk, right? Because we've now learned also, and one of our big, I guess, theories is, is that the importance of telling people about your game when they can take an action, typically buy it, right? Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, you want to let people know a game is coming so they can get excited about it. And so that they kind of, when it appears, they're not just surprised and don't know what the hell it is. But on the other hand, if you if you waste all of, or not waste, but spend all of that energy telling people about it when they can't do anything about it, mm-hmm. Uh, then you're just spinning because because like, we our embargo I think was two days before launch right or ended two days before launch yes something uh, like that and so all of a sudden and it and it was really cool to watch all of a sudden people were streaming and talking about the game and putting up articles and stuff two days before the thing came out and so excitement was was building but that means that just like anything on the internet almost every piece of content that appears and goes live on the internet all of its views are within the first hour mm-hmm. right or day at least or day mm-hmm. and then after that it just plummets. And so what that means is that we had two days of all of these people looking at this thing and then definitely not taking action on it because they forgot about it two days later because now those sites had a different set of games. Unless they happened to visit any of the storefronts where we were featured, right? Yeah. So then then it's kind of a reminder, right? Exactly. Exactly. So you have to kind of do it in combination. But it would be better... If the embargo date was the launch date, probably because then everybody gets to start talking about the game at the same time. People can go buy it when they but see yeah, it, but your, your, your greater point with the Bethesda review thing is it's not anti-consumerist no. to say you guys can just wait a day for a review to come out so that we not. can protect. You're still our going investment. to you're still yeah. going to ultimately have all the information you need because no one right. there's if no it's important actual to you, deadline just, in terms of purchase. Yeah, because for me, if Bethesda launches a game, that's a game worth buying. Because I trust Bethesda right. to make a good product, right? They've they've done that historically. I don't need somebody to tell me that it's a good or a bad product. I can decide for myself. If it's a brand new thing that I've never seen before, then I'm going to wait until I see a review about well, it's it. Interesting. Like right? a, a but I don't need to company. do it at Then I'm not going to be excited about it at launch anyway. Right. I mean, a new game you know, company would not be able to pull this as no. far as having this be a successful method for the, like, yeah, we wouldn't you, be able to say, just like, sorry, nah. press, you can wait. They'd be, <laughs> like, they'd be like, I didn't even read your emails. So I don't know. What you're <laughs> like why, why compare Bethesda to a new game company? Yeah. Like yeah. they have so much right. more experience they can with do whatever press. They, want. they understand exactly how it works and they understand where the failings are. Like Adam was saying. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's really easy. And I think that the culture right now, especially in the games, in the, in the game, the gamer culture is to just assume ill will. Yeah. And every step of the way and just yep. assume that they're out to get me. And it's like, that's not necessarily the case. There are so many other factors involved and so many other decision-making processes yep. that it's like, there could be any of a number of reasons why they've decided to do this. And I can almost guarantee that to screw over their fans was not one well, of yeah. them. <laughs> They're like, you know yeah. what? Yeah. Screw these people who are actually like sustaining our studio yeah, and I mean, the, yeah. enjoying the stuff we make. Yeah, if you're a big <laughs> studio that's making successful products, the moment you, cause they, I mean, the investment into one of their games is fucking enormous. And yeah. if if they make a bad game that That's, that year, if that, that if that's a if violation that, of trust. It's a violation of trust. And now people will not buy the next game. I mean, still, of course, it's gonna take a while for that to decay in a in a really appreciable way, right? But it's gonna it's it is gonna make an enormous hit on the next game because people won't trust the company anymore. Mm-hmm. They don't need reviewers to tell them this game is bad now. They're gonna go buy it and then they won't go buy the next game. So it's not, it is never been, yeah, it's a terrible long-term strategy. And so for a company that works on a short-term strategy basis, uh, like a lot of publicly traded companies, um, there could be some true sort of incentive to 
do that, but it still is a bad long-term strategy. So it's one of those things where, although it's stupid and normally I hate saying like the market will kind of solve itself, you know, I think this is absolutely one of those cases where people won't buy stuff from sources they don't trust. Mm -hmm. And so if a thing, if a, if a company breaks consumer trust, it's already sufficient. You don't need to have somebody else be like, Hey, remember that they broke your trust. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and the thing is like, if you really like a company, you're not going to, you're not going to believe the reviews anyway. You know, you're just going to say, Oh, cause you know, they're arbitrary. So like, I've say, enjoyed the last 10 games of theirs that I played yeah. and they're like, this rando doesn't like it. Well, no, I'll, yeah. I'll probably check that. Even if you tend to yeah. agree with them on other stuff, you'll still, you'll still give the game the benefit of the doubt and go try it out. True. So interesting. And this, well, this also yeah. kind of makes me think as just one final thought, um, about fallout shelter. Yeah. Yeah. But they just, which they the literally, nobody even knew it existed. And and I think this there there was a big reason for that, which was I think Bethesda cor- probably correctly anticipated that if they had announced, hey everybody, a mobile game, the next Fallout game is going to be a sort of Farmville town management <laughs> style mobile game. Yeah, everybody would have been like outraged. Yeah, but because oh, yeah. they didn't they uh, they released the game the day they announced Fallout Four. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So it was more like, hey, while you're waiting for Fallout Four, we got gift. this. Yeah. But it literally was the case that the fa- the next Fallout game between three and four was a mobile game, yeah. right? Um, and, and if, the, and if they, they just hyped they it nailed up, it, they framed it so well. Yeah. yeah. They were just like, hey, guys, we just made this for you. Enjoy. You know? <laughs> and that's it. Um, and everybody just loved it, right? And so I think framing things is really important. And I, and I think... this is good at it. At, at, you know, at the moment, I have no reason to distrust them. Uh, and I think that they, they just make good stuff and want people to enjoy it and they're going to try to find the best mm-hmm. way to... Make that happen. Yeah, I would, so. but I would definitely love to know the rationale for it. Yeah, for I'm choice. curious. Mm-hmm. Like, we can only speculate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for this week's podcast. So, again, uh, you can ask questions at podcast.bscotchnet. Follow us on the internet's various Twitters and things at bscotchnetty. Subscribe to the podcast on wherever the hell you listen to podcasts. And clear to tell all your friends, places. family, and dogs. And maybe leave some reviews. Dogs love yeah. podcasts. They do. They so. sure do. Sure do. All right. Yeah. Bye. 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 Bye.